Pushkin. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. What if AI could help your business deliver mission-critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X and modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. Learn more at ibm.com slash consulting. IBM, let's create. Welcome to the show. I'm Sam Fragoso, and this is Talk Easy. Today, we're releasing a bonus episode that I wanted to share with everyone. It's a conversation with musicians Ben Lee and Josh Radner. Together, they make up Radner and Lee, a folk duo making music here in LA. They actually have a new album that just dropped called Golden State through Flower Moon Records. If you're interested, you can find that new piece of music Wherever you do your listening, I know it's on Spotify, I know it's on iTunes. Is it still called iTunes? Did they change the name? It doesn't matter. It's on the thing with the Apple. And to give a brief backstory, earlier this year, uh, I had the pleasure and privilege of directing a music video for this album. The video is called Simple Harmony, based on one of their singles off this record, Golden State. And my God, looking at the video now, um, it's something we get into in this episode you're about to hear, but for those of you who haven't seen the video, um, it really does feel like a time capsule, a relic from a bygone era. And uh, as much as I enjoyed making the video, editing the video, finishing the video, I can't help but get a little sentimental and nostalgic about that moment in time. And granted, it's not like it was so long ago. It was in February, um, at the end of February, uh, which just happens to feel like a lifetime ago right now. So this is a conversation between Ben Lee, who's been working as a musician for over two decades, and Josh Radner, who you probably know uh, primarily through his acting work, They are beyond any label that people want to put on them. They're just artists, and good ones at that. So it was a joy doing this little bonus episode with them. If you haven't seen the music video, it's on YouTube right now. It will also be in our show notes on uh, the Talk Easy website at talkeasypod.com. I hope you're having a good week, and uh, I hope you enjoyed that episode this past Sunday with Dolores Huerta. If you haven't listened... Uh, I would encourage you to do so after this. It is by far one of the most important and personal episodes that we've released on this show in our four years. I'm curious about your feedback. And yeah, I hope you enjoy that episode. I hope you enjoy this episode. And I'll see you back here on Sunday with Run the Jewels. Until then, here is Josh Radner and Ben Lee. 
Josh Radner Benley. Holy cow. We made a music video together on February 24th. That feels about 17 years ago at this point. Also, how, how about the physical proximity? We were all in crammed into that little car. Oh my God. It was like almost sexual now. It's like erotic <laughs> as a memory that like you could be that yeah. close to people that you weren't like living with. Or with the, <laughs> the, stro- the strobe light and confetti, <laughs> that little uh, nook in my house. <laughs> the LeBaron. God, the LeBaron was so good. It almost it almost had the feeling when I think back on it, because there was, the quarantine was like this wave off the coast that was heading towards us. Like we kind of knew that we would be hunkering down and there was something... It felt like we were playing hooky from something. The whole day itself felt nostalgic, even as we were filming this. Nostalgia is the kind of the theme of the whole video, and it felt that way. I, I totally agree. I don't know if we explicitly said to ourselves, this may be the last time we're outside having fun for a while. For a year and a half. <laughs> we knew something was coming. I don't know if we thought it was this. Yeah. Ben, how do you feel about all of it? I mean, it, it's really funny because I know so many musicians that have had records and videos and singles come out during this process. And, you know, the, the coronavirus lockdown was one thing, but then the magnitude of the protests and the importance of it, it's amazing to make something you care about so much and yet to be completely willing to cede any importance of that to a social movement that seems so much more important than any music we could be releasing or, or cool music videos or whatever. So I've actually thought it was very noble of the way the music community has not tried to... There's just been like a very elegant moving aside as far as self-promotion goes. Like, look, we're all... Oh, here's a video, here's the single, here's the thing. But musicians have always been progressives as far as I'm concerned. There's like one or two outliers in every generation. But for the most part, every musician I know is thrilled that the changes that are starting to happen, uh, that we're seeing them, we're getting to be part of them. You know what I mean? So it's just been a very, like, there's been mixed feelings, but overall, I've just felt this celebration that, like, we seem to be culturally on the right track as far as the things we're talking about, finally. I was going to bring up that both of you in the last month have completely transformed your respective platforms online to focus on social justice in this moment. It seems like you both made conscious choices to pivot in that way. Yeah, I think it, it felt at the very least, and I mean the very least, it's letting people know this is where I stand on this. To be silent in this moment just felt like a really almost violent thing. <laughs> you know, like this, it's funny, I'm writing this new newsletter, um, which is this, this, you know, bi-monthly kind of thing I write for subscribers. And I was thinking, I'm, I'm writing about this um, moment where lightning struck a tree on my street a couple years ago, my old house, and half this tree was in the middle of the street. And you could drive around it, but it was like, you know, there's winding narrow roads of the hills. And when I first drove by it, I thought, well, someone will get that, right? And I came back at the end of the day, and it was still there. And I thought, well, someone's going to get that, you know? And I said that every day and it was like, it was like over a week, this tree was just sitting there and eventually someone did get it. But I've been thinking about it in terms of the, you know, my friend Ali said to me, I am deeply passionate about many issues that I am entirely expecting other people to fix. Like climate change being the big one, you know, that we first talked about, but systemic racism is another one. Like I, I'm embarrassed at how, much I thought someone will get that and that it wasn't somehow me. It wasn't related to me or I'm a good progressive or I'm not that. Or, and it's just like, as I've interrogated myself in this area and in this time, I'm like, oh my God, I am, I, I, I was living in such an ignorant bubble and, and at so much and that my privilege is what allowed me to insulate myself. So I'm kind of like, you know, there's a lot of levels that we were, we're, we're healing and, raging and hurting and it's individual it's collective and i don't know social media is like it's a way to amplify certain things it's such a small part of what's really going on in my life but at the very least you can tip people off and say like look i'm looking at this stuff and and there's an invitation for other people to do it too 
Mm. Yeah, I I feel um I feel similarly. I mean, my my perspective is because I'm an immigrant. I'm Australian, and I've lived here since I was 18, so for 23 years or whatever it is. I've always had, you know, I don't vote here. And so I've been asked to, like, lend my voice to things over the years or opportunities have come up, and I've always felt conflicted about it. Um, I just thought it's a little bit presumptuous. And on top of that, I think I came from, I, I actually truly believe that art is superior to politics. I think it's a more noble pursuit. I think it reflects what's good about humanity better than politics does. And so I've had a, I have had a um, built-in sort of cynicism or skepticism about the power of politics. For me, I know I moved to America for freedom. You know, I'm not a refugee, but artistically, creatively, in terms of getting away from my own boxed-in world, I, I ran, I went west, you know what I mean? I, I, I came looking for the promised land. For me, that was a going to America, and it was sort of silly looking back. It was probably built more on, like, watching family ties and growing pains and the wonder years than it was on, like, <laughs> in a real idealism. But I kind of believed in America as a place that can exemplify the possibilities of freedom and expression. I, I don't think I'm ever going to forget the military being used against protesters a couple of weeks ago. Like something snapped in me. My, my innocence was sort of taken. I was like, this is the moment. This is the moment you see in documentaries about the rise of fascism and about the loss of freedoms. Forget everything else, any other principle I've ever, ha I've ever had. I refuse to say nothing while this is happening. And that's kind of where I'm standing at the moment. Like, I think we're at a very important tipping point in one direction or another in American history. And I want to be very clear about which side of the, you know, <laughs> which side of things I'm sitting on. Yeah, yeah. Last night or yesterday, I, I had this friend date, a socially distanced date in a park with Louie and Tiffany, who are they're two of my co-stars from Hunters, the show that I'm on. And we, I hadn't seen them in a long time. And we were talking about a second season, which was, if we're doing it, was supposed to shoot in Europe. And now there's talk, if we do a second season, that it would not be in Europe. It would be shot in the States. And I said, but I would think Europe would be safer. Like, I think Europe has been better about dealing with the virus than we have been. And uh, Tiffany said, yeah, they have been. That's why they don't want us coming there. <laughs> and like, I didn't I didn't think like, oh, I'm the problem. I'm the carrier of the disease. Right. I'm the carrier of the virus, because I think there's something about Americans. We've been trained to think of ourselves as the protagonist, the center of the narrative and the good the good, healthy, righteous, virtuous center of the narrative. And there's this shift, you know, that's going on that's like, yeah, we're in a world of hurt in this country uh, in, in so many ways. And, and the thing that's fascinating about this moment is like, if you want to talk about systemic racism, you know, there's a lot of jokes about like, yeah, it's not just about get, retiring Aunt Jemima maple syrup. Like it's literally, it's about the police. It's about healthcare. It's about social work. It's about how we've defunded or underfunded so many things that keep communities safe and thriving. And we are, we're having to look at everything in this moment, like everything's up for examination. And, uh, you know, I always thought, cause I was in college during the Clinton years, which were, you know, relatively incredibly, at least internationally um, with, you know, there was other things going on, but like there weren't massive wars and things like that. So there was always this feeling that history like had escaped my generation or something. And it's like, no, that's not in fact true. <laughs> you know, Josh, wait, can I ask you a question just to divert for one second? Yeah. If you go back on set and you have to do your own makeup, are you going to do a little course like YouTube tutorials or something? Like how are you going to get ready to do your own makeup on set? I, that I wear so little makeup that I don't even think it'll be an issue. I think so you'll just powder yourself. Yeah, down, I think it's I think it's just like a, a, you know, take away some stuff under the eyes if it's early morning and you're ready to go. Ben, did you assume that Josh wore a lot of makeup? <laughs> no, it's, it's, you know, it's show business. It's like everyone wants to accentuate their cheekbones, a little bit of contouring. Oh, well, I'm um, going to give myself a little bronzer <laughs> under the cheekbones. Don't worry. And I know how to do that. What about Pacino? Does he have a lot of makeup? He, you know, he has his own, he had his own team. We never even saw him 
Kate Mulvaney uh, watched, uh, came on set and saw Al working through something. And she mentioned, she leaned over to someone. She was like, that's amazing. And they were like, yeah, that's Billy, his stand-in. <laughs> it wasn't even Pacino. She was so, in, you know, uh, hypnotized by even the suggestion of Al Pacino. I have a question for both of you um, about this record. I'm curious, where were both of you at when you were making it? Every project has to reach a point where I'm obsessed with it to some degree in order to sustain my attention. I can't be casually interested in something for two years. So I think what tipped this into an obsession for me was um, an obsession with sort of the quality of what we were going to do, both songwriting-wise and recording-wise and performance-wise. It's almost like the journey of this project from kind of being a hobby with like one guy who plays guitar, another guy who doesn't, and we, you know, we cobble it together to going, let's lift the quality of this thing to somewhere kind of like classic and undeniable. And that that was where I was at with it. It was about an obsession with quality, basically. I, I agree with everything Ben said, but it's hard to it's hard for me to think about this album uh, without thinking of myself as a, as a musician in a more, much more proper sense of the word than when I, when we did our first record, which I didn't play guitar. And on this record, I fully played guitar and I'm a guitar player and I play in shows and it hasn't been that long, but I, I really took to it and, and I was obsessive about it. So I got up to a kind of speed that I wouldn't have otherwise gotten up to if we weren't, you know, playing in front of paying audiences and trying to create this album together. Um, so having two guitars in the room rather than just one. And then I think what Ben's saying is like, we were really swinging for the fences on this one in terms of we wanted the album to feel t both timeless and also, you know, we were going for like a classic feel, you know, Ben lives in Laurel Canyon, which has such a rich history of, um, you know, folk music in the sixties and seventies and, we were really drawing on on that tradition. A lot of country we were drawing on, and and it's hard to tease out the difference between folk and country. Like I'm watching Ken Burns doc now, and it's 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 just you know that kind of four chords and the truth kind of situation. But um, I think we were a lot of times we just get together and write, and we'll have a conversation about what's going on in our lives, and we'll we'll talk for a little while and get caffeinated and. And, and out of that, something, some sort of theme will start to emerge that feels like the genesis of a song. And we just get together and we, we just write songs. When we get together, there are songs that come out. And I think that's why we've stuck together because it's like there's an ease to the process that neither of us have really uh, explored. Uh, we, we haven't uh, um, analyzed it too much because you don't want to. It's, it's, it's a kind of mysterious process. But when we get together, we, we make songs. We also really like each other. We're good friends. So if you can get together with a friend and make stuff that you feel creatively jazzed about it, it's like the greatest thing in the world. When did it turn from hobby to profession? Well, I, I, I wouldn't say profession in, in the sense that, you know, I mean, it's maybe that's a better way of saying it for Josh. Um, but for me, because I've been a professional musician for 25 years, it's like, it was always a profession. It's more just like being in Brazil, you know, we had this sort of weird, unexpected kind of viral success in Brazil. And it's, it just happened through Facebook, basically. And we ended up with this album we'd made that around the world people were, you know, somewhat interested in, but Brazilians just took to it. And we so we, sh Why? I think How I Met Your Mother had been a massive show there. And then I think the, the folk music sort of presence on Facebook really latched onto it. And it was a dual, it kind of came from both sides at once. And suddenly there was like an audience that knew the music and was coming to the show and excited. And I think like I had had some success in um, Spain it, with my music and in um, the Netherlands, but both were very for predominantly English speaking audiences. This was the first time I had played and connected with an audience that where there was quite quite little um, of lyrically, I think, getting across, you know? But it, it made us think about other ways of connecting with the audience and particularly, vi you know, I'm going to use two words that are like so overused in music um, and probably sound cliches, but 
you know, vibe and groove. They're like the amorphous aspects of what happens in a song that's not the story it's telling and isn't even the melody. It's like, it's just how it makes it, you feel in your body. And as we tapped into that, there's no way to get those things. Those things are like magical qualities unless you commit and you show up for them. And I think for both of us, we started showing up to the music in a way that allowed these more amorphous qualities to sort of uh, permeate what we were doing. I think also on our first record, even though Ben had been writing songs for so long and I was much more new to the gig, it was like we were we were figuring out how to write songs together, which was a new thing. We weren't going to write songs like Ben writes songs because there's this whole other element in this room, the room now called me. And, you know, I'm always kind of thinking about content and what to create. And I would bring Ben, you know, sometimes I'd bring him a lot of lyrics and we would bang them into shape. And some of them, and I, and I don't mean to denigrate our first record because I, I, I have great fondness for it, but some, it could, it could, it was so lyrically dense and it was almost like we found music to hook these lyrics, like, like, and I'm, I'm being pejorative in, in a, in a, a grand way, but it was almost like a couple songs were like essays set to music or like you could hear this kind of grander idea. Whereas I think with this album, we just, we found music that we wanted to sing, right? We found groove and the feel that we wanted to, and then we were like, well, what does that feel like? So I feel, I, I feel like the first album was more, lyrically driven in that we started often with more lyrics and then found the music and this was the reverse yeah it's sort of like it's just it's cooler because like when i think of what the essence of cool not in a way of like fashion but cool involves speaking less and saying more yeah you know it's like it's like it's somehow when there's a cool person in a room that you look up to or respect it's not what they're saying it's the way they carry themselves and that a lot of my favorite music is it achieves part of its effect because of the way the musicians carry themselves through the song, through the mood, through the music video. You know, we collaborated with you, Sam, in a, a visual rendering of what the music is. And that was my main note from the beginning. It was like, I want it to look cool because I think there's something that happens where the audience trusts a cool narrator. They go, I'm safe. I'm safe with this person. They're not going to get their feathers ruffled too easily. They know what they're about. They know who they are. And that can be almost misinterpreted as swagger, but it's actually just like real confidence, you know? There's also something about when to shut up, when to let music take over, when, when, when an artist is comfortable in silence or, or just saying a little less, you know? I, and that's something I've had to learn. I was in my twenties, I was a very nervous talker. I was, I was uncomfortable with silence or I was uncomfortable that silence, my silence would be misinterpreted as aloofness or ignorance. And God forbid anyone should think I didn't know what was going on in the room, you know? And as I've gotten older, I think that's a consequence. A nice consequence of aging is feeling like you don't have to constantly be proving yourself and selling yourself that you can let things just be a little bit more. And I think there's more of that in this record. I know what you're doing. I just figured out what you were doing. <laughs> you were letting it be. I was I was waiting to see how long that would last. I thought I thought you were farting. <laughs> Look at those two responses to my silence. Josh interpreted the response as listening to what he just said and applying it to the moment. Ben was like, was it a fart? Having directed both of you in this music video. That basically sums up your two perspectives. <laughs> <laughs> it is true. It is true in that I think it's almost like in, um, in our separate work, we have to inhabit more archetypes within uh, sort of the psyche, right? When you come into a collaboration, your roles, you, you willingly play out certain aspects of the psyche a little more exclusively. So it's like, it's like casting a movie. You're like, oh, that's the hero. That's the anti-hero. That's the criminal. That's the damsel in distress. You know, like in a band, it's a little bit more like that. And I do think that um, within this band, I came to realize that my job in some way was uh, connected to some kind of instinctual experience. Um, and that's not to say I can define what Josh's is, but I do know that in the way we make decisions... I often have a more instinctive response and Josh has a more metered and often like well thought out response. 
And there's something in that balance that is sort of what this music is, I guess, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I'll speak to it, having done the, the video with you folks. The very thing you're talking about is visually represented. Half of it was shot on film in a kind of 60s handheld way. And the other half was shot on an Alexa, the kind of things they probably shot movies on right now. Those two sides represented, and I think visually uh, stood in for both of your perspectives. Well, and you know what's cool? It's an oversimplification, but part of the fun of art and culture is playing out these oversimplifications in a way that allows your audience to like dream upon the canvas that like the artists or the band are making. So, you know, you look at a band like Oasis and it's not true that Noel Gallagher is the smart one and Liam is the soulful animal, you know, but it's a very convenient modeling of archetypes for a need that we have as an audience to watch a drama play out. So part of the fun of these things is like leaning into that a little more and going, huh, okay, that's the role here. Let's do it. I got hung up on, is Ben the the, the 60s film and I'm the <laughs> more deliberate digital modern person or is it vice versa? <laughs> I think that, I know, I know for me personally, when someone tells me what I am, my instinctual response is to deny that and say, no, that's not true. You know, like, like there's something about being um, straightjacketed as like a, 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 the kind of person who does this or, you know, if someone says like, oh, you're like the funny guy. And it's like, not always, you know, you're a pretty serious guy. Not always. Like there's I'm always fighting for my dimensionality. Right. And I do think I, one of the things I do find in my interplay with Ben, and this is both not even as much around music, but but around the whole notion of having a band when, uh, you know, Ben's much more, he's taught me to be much more bold and, and less neurotic about like social media, you know, like I, I think Ben just has an idea and he puts something out there and he moves on to the next one. Whereas I can get a little more like I'm about to hit send or post, you know, like I, I, that's just kind of how I am. I've something I've always admired about him is he has very little lag time between idea and execution. Like if he gets an idea, he's like, well, let's put a mic on it. Let's record this net. Let's just do it. Or let's make this video and put it out. Cause he's the most Virgo-y person I know. And he hates having things on lists undone, you know, it's like inbox zero right here, this guy. But, uh, I'm much more like, why don't we do five drafts of it or five of them and pick the best one? Let's try to control the conditions. And I don't even mean that it's not always bad. Sometimes I feel like I know as a writer, my fifth draft is invariably going to be better than my first or second draft. So why wouldn't we work at something? But some things are not to be overly, you know, handled. But I feel like the negotiation between our two attacks on on material generally yields something pretty interesting. Sometimes, for instance, our, our viral hit, I Wonder What's Inside Your Butthole, we covered the, you know, seven-year-old girl's um, uh, song. And that was like very fast and the speed of it served us because it was a moment in time. It was like a 24 hour window where people really cared about this song and we got it out there and then we were able to really participate in this fun moment. And that was a consequence of both Ben saying, let's do it now. And me having spent a lot of years with him and knowing that the train's leaving the station, we got to do this right now. But you know what else, Josh? Cause I've collaborated with quite a lot of people that have bigger platforms than I do. Um, you, one of them, I just did a thing with Sarah Silverman. I've done stuff with Lena Dunham. And I've also seen the blowback for making the wrong quote unquote action is pretty heavy, dude. It's like, like for me, the consequences of doing the quote unquote wrong thing in a tweet or whatever, it's like, it, it blows over very quickly. I, the bigger the platform, in a sense, the heavier the pressure right. to make the right decision. And so I also have some degree of like sympathy for, without it being paralyzing, how you do have to be a little more careful about what you say with the more eyes that are on you. I actually appreciate you saying that because I, you know, when you see when you see a celebrity trending, <laughs> you know, you go, oh God, what did they do? You know, there's- but, but let me just say one other thing about that though, from a personal development, like the, the, like the way we wish to just grow and transform, the willingness to go through those crises 
is actually often like hugely maturing. Like I know for say those two people, like Lena and Sarah, their battles and their struggles with um, public perception and people with different political views and people that had more evolved and progressive political views that helped educate them has been a huge part of their development too. So, so it's not always bad to find yourself in hot water, but you do have to kind of take it on the chin and then do the inner work of going, okay, what can I get from this? And that's a pretty harrowing experience. Like I, I really do feel for people in that situation. The good news is that if you have a platform or if you're just visible, people are going to come at you and attack you for some just reasons and some unjust reasons. And I do find that the the happy consequence is not happy while you're going through it, but at the very least, I think for someone like me who historically has been very terrified of people having a negative opinion of me and then realizing they're going to anyway, no matter what I do. So there's a liberation in that of saying, you know, that's kind of what outside in is, you know, the bricks that people throw at me, making a house of it. And just, you know, having your, your skin thickened through the process of being visible in culture, even if it's modestly visible. um, I think there, there's something valuable in that, even though it can be a lot of, it'd be painful while you're going through it. Do you feel less terrified now? You know, it's interesting. I, 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 I had a, a pretty anti-Trump tweet this morning. I loved it. <laughs> Thanks. And I felt good about sending it because I really believed in it. I don't do a ton of like anti-Trump bashing just because it, it, I, I actually don't like talking about him that much. And I know we need to keep our eye on the prize, but um, I always think about something Richard Rohr says, the best criticism of the bad is the practice of the better. So I'm always kind of going, well, what's the better? But sometimes you really have to call it out and say, you know, whatever. So there's always a moment where I go, Oh God, Oh God. Um, because I, you know, I'm pretty, I'm a pretty passionate gun reform kind of guy. Do I want to spend all day on Twitter arguing with second amendment people? I do not, you know? So some of it is just like, um, energy, uh, resource management, right? Like how much bandwidth do I have to engage in this dust up? How many hours in the day do I have? Um, so I try to figure out what can be positive and the stakes do feel high in terms of, um, you know, if I, if I, if I have a tweet or something that I feel like could be somewhat controversial or I'll lose followers or people will get, I'll get some blowback. If, if it's largely positive, I end up feeling like, whew, like, <laughs> like I feel relief. Um, and then sometimes if you're, if you're actually saying something, you're going to, you're going to piss people off in the in the correct way. So it's it's a it's a delicate thing. I'm I, I'm I'm ever evolving on this. And Ben, to your point, I'm curious as a fellow Virgo myself, what do you think that is that the the absence of a lag time between wanting to do something and then doing something has that always been true for you? Yeah, I don't know. So I veer back and forth. I think because it's a bit habitual at this point. I sometimes I think it's courageous. Other times I think it is the mark of true terror. Um, it's like pull a Band-Aid off quickly, you know what I mean? Um, but I think I always perceived this idea, I think this is why I started my career so young, like at 14. I perceived this idea that the road of artistry, craftsmanship, building yourself into a dignified human being was like a long process involving lots of mistakes So my feeling has always been I'd rather get the mistakes out of the way and just do it. I want to learn the lesson because I want to get better. So I'll like, I've definitely been more the like ask the dumb question and get the moment of humiliation and learn the lesson faster than someone who like would stew on it for a long time. In some ways, it's just sort of like my appetite for experience, I suppose. I also notice you get very... um for a couple months, you'll be all in on something. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like um, you know, I remember, you know, uh, people might remember Ben's Bitcoin phase. Yeah, yeah, or, or steam it, or yeah. And, steam it, steam it, you know. And, you know, a big part of it is, like, um, not being afraid to be passionate. And part of the thing of passion is it's sort of always wrong. It's passion is romantic, and it's, um, it's going to ebb and flow and rise and swell. But I love passion. 
you know, and I'd almost rather see, it's like a crush. Like if I was afraid to express passion, I would never have been a 14 year old writing a song for a girl I had a crush on until I waited to see if she was the girl I was going to marry or not. Right. You got to kind of like, I see it as like, you got to like, just express your passion. And if it shakes out and it disappears, well, it wasn't meant to be. But that doesn't mean the expression was false, you know? Do you think, and this is just me spitballing here, but do you think because you have created a home life for yourself that is relatively, that is stable in terms of like, you're really married, you guys, you you know, Goldie's like really growing up, Kate's really growing up. Like, do you think that because that feels, not that it's passionless by any measure, but, but that you're there, yeah, that's there and that you allow your romanticism to flower in these other directions? Yeah, I would say that like, because I was always like that, you know, I always was like grasping for what the moment, like I'd want to wring out every moment of inspiration from each moment of my life. But I would say that the stability of marriage and home life has allowed me to have a foundation for wildness that I didn't quite realize would be it's almost like an unexpected, unless it was unconscious, but it seems to me like an unexpected benefit. It's almost like when people say, oh my God, the sex between me and my wife who've been together for 40 years is the hottest it's ever been. And part of you goes, when you're younger, goes, how is that possible? But there is something that happens with a strong foundation. You can get like philosophically kinky. You know, and that's sort of how I see as like, like the more within stability. There's a third album title. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, there is, there is a connection, but I. I, I, Yeah. And you also, you probably married the right gal. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing. I, 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 I created stability with someone wild also. Like, so, so we know who we are and we know what our, the love and respect our marriage is based on, but we're not trying to pretend to be your like conservative neighbors that are just living like the bourgeois fantasy. Like we see it as like that we can be radical together. That was always our vision of it. You seem to have this kind of stabilizing foundation. That's a little bit of an outlier in comparison to what I see from other people. Yeah. That's a tricky one. I mean, it's, it's sort of like, um, I, I think you could say it the same in terms of just collaboration of any kind, like, the odds of a band staying together are incredibly slim. And when you look at a band like Pearl Jam or U2 and you go like, how did these, these are four, five adults who are going to have wildly different like expectations of what their life and how do you keep it together? And there has to be almost this, that what we were talking about, that sense of passionate idealism for the thing to even have a shot. I was watching George Harrison on the uh, Dick Cavett show. My favorite line, Dick Cavett's like, so do you want to do you want to say anything? And he's like, well... You know, they asked me, do you want to come on the Dick Cavett show? And I said, uh, yeah, i got nothing to talk about, really. Yeah. They said, well, think of something, you know, anything. So I thought, okay, we'll go and talk about Raga, which is... Uh, Film. Mm. Mm-hmm. You mean that's it? When we're done talking about that, then... Then I go. Yeah. You don't like to talk, then? Well, not really. Sometimes, if there's something to say, but there's yeah. really nothing to say these days. You know, I've always really related to George Harrison. I don't know, there's something about his quiet, reflective kind of vibe that I always really liked. And maybe I'm purely speculating, but I know that if people want to talk to me about how I met your mother, which, which without question was... I mean, not to get too grand about it, but it was my Beatles on some level in that I was in a gang of with these five people, you know, four other people, and it got very popular and people want to talk about it all the time and relive it with me or, or bring it up when they talk to me. And I know like, like just as a creative person, like as a person who makes things, what's the thing you want to talk about the most is the thing you're working on right in this moment. That's the most exciting thing. So it's it can sometimes feel like, I've used this analogy before, but it can sometimes feel like I really liked high school. I'm really close with a lot of my high school friends. It was absolutely pivotal in my development as a human being. I don't have any even, 
I don't have ill will towards my high school experience, but do I want to talk about high school all the time? Do I want to be called by the nickname they called me in high school? Do I want to be, you know what I mean? Like there's just this feeling of wanting to uh, hit the refresh button on your life and update what it is you're talking about. And, and I know that it's, it's impossible to contextualize me and my career without mentioning the enormous hit show I was on. But uh, there's also a, a, a little bit of a, I hope we can move on and talk about this other stuff or even, you know, like Harrison, like just be a little quieter or something. And, and it's, it's hard also, like when you're on a talk show, the whole reason you're there is because they want to hear from you. And it's kind of bold to be like, yeah, I don't really have anything to say in front of these millions of people. <laughs> yeah, I, I was thinking about um, how one of the most formative experiences I had in terms of this type of lesson to do with like moments where collaboration is like uh, happening um, and then moments where it isn't is, um, you know, I had this project called The Bends with Ben Folds and Ben Quella. And we had a real cosmic moment where like, not just musically, but our lifestyles, where we were living, our wives all liked each other. Uh, you know, my, my girlfriend and their wives. Um, we, we, it, it's like it all connected. There were some decisions made at that time that led to us closing the door on opportunities, perhaps with an arrogance of these will come round again. The lesson for me was that, that who knows, they still might, but they haven't come round again yet. And it gave me a, a real humble respect for moments where collaboration is flowing because you really can't control it. It's like, it's like the, the doors of the universe like open up and these tubes or three or four souls come together and go, let's make this thing together. And it's almost like some like, it's like a, a type of like, um, expression of something secret that these people don't even know they had to come together to do. And then at a certain moment, like things change kind of cosmically and for reasons that are, they might be someone's unhappiness or frustration. They could also be geographic. They could also be a virus. They could also be social change that occurs. It's just not, it's like the I Ching. It's like opportune moments and non-opportune moments, you know? And so a big part of my enjoyment of this experience with Josh comes from the humility of having watched these moments pass and that who knows, we could make 10 more records in the next 10 years or we might not, but I, I don't pretend to be in control of that. And I think that what's tricky about the thing you're talking about with the Beatles is that like they can have a sense of, oh my God, we showed up for eight years. Josh and the cast of How I Met Your Mother and the creators, they showed up for nine years. Was it nine years or nine seasons? Mm, no, nine seasons. Yeah, nine years. Yeah. Nine seasons. They showed up. Like, we don't appreciate what that takes to show up and do the collaboration. And when it ends, we all say, how do you feel about it? Do you, is there going to be more? Is there going to be? And you just realize that what has to happen for these collaborations and the magic to occur is very, like, out of our control. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny. People write me all the time, like, please do a season 10. And it's like the show went off the air six years ago and there's 208 episodes. Like that's a lot of hours of entertainment for you. I don't know why people act like they got gypped somehow by not, you know, uh, getting a 10th season. It, it will never be enough. And that's unfortunately one of the downsides of the internet is that uh, the people who share their enthusiasm for the thing being made. The, the, the expectation that more will always come has not, we haven't figured that out yet. It's always more. People who know themselves know when they're, they're out, when they're, they've let it dry. You know what I mean? Like, I think, you know, there's a lot of creators that are like, I've got five seasons of stories in me and I don't have any more and that's what it's going to be. And I kind of like that we're transitioning at least in TV to a more like um, European model of, you know, like unorthodox was four really, really terrific episodes. And I don't, I think that's the end of that story. You know, I, one other thing I was going to say is um, Ben really helped me with something where he said to me once, he said, How I Met Your Mother is like you had a massive hit song, if you were a, mus a musician, right? It's like you have this massive hit song. 
And you kind of have to play it at every show. Like people are going to scream it until you play it at the show. And you, you're, you like have to honor that. Yeah, a lot of people are here because of that song. But, but they're also going to hear some of your new songs. So it's this, it's this tricky negotiation of like honoring where you came from, not, not slamming it, but also like letting yourself move on even if other people don't want you to. Before we go, I want to know from both of you, the great power of music is that it can adapt and change to the moment that you're in in your life. So I'm interested, what does this record mean to the both of you right now? Well, my first thought is it goes back to what you were saying, you know, what was going on with us when we were writing it. And um, someone said this about films, but I think it's the albums are the same, you know, that a film doubles as a documentary of the people who gathered together to make that film. Because if you work on a film, you, you remember the first AC, you remember the grip, you remember, you know, you, you, your memory, uh, your experience of the film is much bigger. You know, when I think about Golden State, I think about being in the studio with Justin Stanley and with Ben and us, you know, taking some, some doses of mind altering substances in a, in a way that was very light and allowed us to still make the things. But it, it was, um, it was just this celebration of like three people coming together in, in this dark space to make sound that we liked. And I remember one time we were just stuck. Uh, We were recording the song, the animal and we were stuck. We just couldn't get the sound we wanted. And, Justin took us outside and he made us jog in the island in the center of the street. He made us sprint, you know, for like two blocks and then run back. And it was just like this moment of like leaving the darkness of the studio and, and, and exploding into the sunlight and running. And I, I, it was one of those moments that almost like the video we were making where the, 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 um, the present becomes the past where you know you're going to remember something forever. You know that you're, you're living through a memory is what it feels like and a really good, juicy, delicious memory. Um, you know, I feel this way when I go to rehearse a play that I'm the playwright of. I feel this way when I'm in um, an editing bay with a, an editor working on a movie. I felt this way in the studio with Ben and Justin where I wake up and I have this feeling of absolute joy that my only responsibility on earth today is to make this thing. You know, there's, there's a level of purity to it and everything else falls away. And you're like, this is what I have to do today. This is what's being asked of me. This is my, my, my duty, my, my responsibility. And it's joy. It's joyful. And I was so afraid of being like a bourgeois kind of, uh, you know, lawyer or something, you know, that was just like that, that, that work felt like drudgery. That was my great fear in my life. And that I've structured my life in such a way that my work is my joy, you know, and that I collaborate with my best friends and make things. It's like, I can't even believe that, 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 that if I really can access that, I, I shouldn't be able to complain about anything ever again, because it's such a luxury. Um, So I think about the joy of making the thing and making sounds and discovering myself as a musician and Ben um, being this absolute veteran songwriter who valued my ideas and my musical ideas just as strongly as his own. And, uh, and I, I, in addition to being able to make music with this person, I love also um, getting an unofficial, uh, you know, multi-year songwriting workshop with like an ace songwriter. Like there's so much about it that is just, um, I can't believe it. And I think I've made a shift in my, I've, I've, I now put musician in my bio without feeling like a fraud or an imposter because I really, I make music. I make music with Ben. I make music without Ben. And I feel like I can claim that mantle in a way that I, I, I always felt like, no, you're a fraud. You, you, if to be a musician, you have to start when you're 12, God forbid, you can't start in your forties. That's absurd. You know? So it's, it's just been stepping into this different conception of myself as someone who I'm a storyteller, but now I tell stories also through songs and, um, and, and, and just in the most basic way, I love the record. 
I think the record is great. I think to put this record on and drive with the windows down, I think it's one of those records that you don't have to skip a track, you know, like there's not a dud track on it. Um, we were really trying to make a record that felt like a classic album that you just want to return to again and again and again. And um, that's my hope for it is that people get some of the, um, the joy, the frequency at which we made this, which was like a high joyous frequency. I hope that they hook into that when they listen. I mean, I just feel for me, because I've made so many albums, I look at them as they're almost like um, bricks that are building something that the building is not yet fully revealed to me what it is, but each piece of work is I try and craft that brick as having maximum integrity and high quality and fun and joy and colorful. And I I like this brick. It's like a brick in the house. That is the work I'll leave behind. And it doesn't mean I, I need it to be thought of as like sort of, oh, everyone will remember this album or something. You know, the odds of that are very slim. But I think like Josh, like I'm creating a body of work through different mediums and through different approaches. And I look at this brick and I like, huh, that's not like any other brick in the house. I like that brick. Sam, I'm curious. Um, can, what's your experience with our record? I know, I know you, I'm putting you on the spot, but I know you like the record. So I'm just curious. You weren't in the studio with us making it. You weren't there when we wrote the songs. Like, what's, what's your experience when you listen to the album? What I was going to say in response to Ben is that I felt, um, after listening to it this morning, and then when I first listened to it four months ago, five months ago, I felt immediately very honored to be part of making a brick in the house because I felt like it was a good house. I, I, I thought the foundation was strong. And having listened to your first record, I saw the clear graduation that happens here in the second record, which is not to downplay the qualities of the first one. It's good. But this is you can see it is more realized. It is a truer, based on my limited experience with both of you as people, it seems to be a more clear articulation of who you both are. And the yin and the yang of your two voices, I think really works here, really works here. And in the context of this moment, it does feel like a relic from a bygone era. I can't help but think of that our video together feels like some some vestige some some last piece before the ship went down but since the record is coming out in this moment it could very well be part of the new rebuilding of what we're about to go through you know when you when you have a project you kind of uh, these other you know these other people get swept up in it and and you know, for their, for their very particular skill set, And I just love, I mean, we can tell people, I don't know if you were going to say this in your intro, but like, so I was on your podcast, how many years ago, like two or three years ago? Yeah. Two or three years ago. But I ran yeah. into you at, was it an Oscar or Emmy party? I forget which one. Yeah. It was an Oscar party. Yeah. And, uh, and it was right. I was going to direct the video and Ben had said to me, you have too much on your plate. I think we should find another director. And I had no idea who we we're going to ask. And then I ran into you and, uh, you had directed um, Noel uh, Wells's video, right? Uh-huh. Um, and you 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 sent it to me, and I loved it. But then we, I sent you the song, and your treatment of it was exactly what Ben and I <laughs> had thought of. We we talked about like Super Eight film and wanting it to feel nostalgic and gritty and grainy and just like this kind of um, home movie kind of vibe with the driving, and that was exactly what you thought. And I just love um, I love that thing when you're your radar is out for, you're like, okay, I need a director of our video and I need it to be the right person, right? And then if you, I find that if you, if your intention is pure about what you're looking for and you're paying attention, 
the right person, you'll, you'll actually bump into them at an Oscar party. Like you'll know, you'll, you'll find them, you know, you'll, they're. That goes for everybody. Yeah. Everyone. Every, yeah. No, you just, will bump into them at an Oscar you party. You guys all went to the UTA Oscar yeah. party, right? <laughs> yeah. Right? That's where all great things happen. Um, but, uh, but no, it was, it was, it was just, uh, you know, it was so clear that you were the right guy to direct it. And you brought on such great people to, to, to just spend a day with, you know, shout out to our DP. Tahila DeCastro. Tahila DeCastro. She was uh, amazing. All of them. Caroline Reebok produced it. Friends from high school edited Harrison Cameron and Ian Jones. Yeah, the Fresno crew. The Fresno crew. There was they like, really showed there's up. There's like seven of us. I think to bring it full circle, I know we gave you shit about the Oscar party, but I know what you're saying. I think what it, what you're speaking to is that if you're awake enough to see the signs and you show up to it you know we talked a lot about showing up to being open to moments happening in front of you and seizing those moments because there's a good chance they don't come back you know to what you said ben it's not it's not guaranteed it's all very ephemeral the beautiful thing about putting your record out or a film out or a music video out is that the experience of it is ephemeral the family that made it is not together but the thing is there and the thing is always going to be there. And I'm glad this record is out right now in this moment. Josh Radner, Ben Lee, thank you both very much for doing this. Yeah, man. Thanks, mate. Thanks, Sam. So long. our show the latest record from radner and lee is called golden state and it is out now wherever you do your listening apple spotify etc you could find more information on radner and lee on our website at www.talkeasypod.com i also want to give a special thanks to josh radner and ben lee for coming on this show and of course for giving me the opportunity to direct uh, a nice little music video. If you want to check out that music video, you can find it on the Talk Easy website. You can also find it on YouTube. It's called Radner and Lee Simple Harmony. As always, you can subscribe to this show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you do your podcasting. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Talk Easy Pod. And if you'd like to join our email list, drop me a line at talkeasypod at gmail.com this show is made possible especially today for a bonus episode because of our incredible team our executive producer is Janik Sabravo our associate producer is Nikki Spina our editors are Andre Lynn Kat Owen and Eli Weiss our music is by Dylan Peck our social media is by Kiran Aftab our intern is Patrice Lee illustrations by Krishna Shenoy graphics by ian jones and the show is produced by caroline reebok i'm sam fragoso thank you for listening to this special bonus episode of talk easy i'll see you back here on sunday with run the jewels until then here's a sample off golden state the song is called simple harmony have a good rest of your week everyone Apocalypse are coming Everybody feeling the weight Endless apprehension Too much sorrow on our plate Baby, take a moment Everybody take a breath This old earth depends on birth As much as it depends on death In Brooklyn Under the Manhattan Bridge You can't separate The wine from the grapes And the magnet on the fridge It's a circle Not a straight line
the tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored among some of the most influential leaders in industry and me. I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Musora is your access to online music lessons for guitar, piano, drums, and singing. You know, I love music, but I haven't picked up an instrument in years. You know why? I tell myself, I don't have time. Where am I going to find a teacher? Well, there's an answer. Musora. Musora is the place where you can learn essential skills and techniques with more than a hundred of the world's best teachers and musicians and thousands of famous songs. You get seven days totally free to try it out. And then it's just $30 per month, less than a single private lesson. Just go to musora.com, M-U-S-O-R-A.com to start a new musical journey today. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.